so he gave me these tapes and he had this really kind of stylized writing on it. There were mixtapes. So the E's were just three lines and no, no um, vertical line. And he, he put the adolescence on there. And I thought it said Adolf sense. And, <laughs> and then I started like, and some of this oily stuff. And I kind of put, I thought at the same time I learned about like what Nazis were. And it kind of all, I got freaked out. Like I thought I was listening to Nazi music Whoa. and you know, my family was Jewish and I also had this crazy thing. And I was like, I had a moment where I was like, fuck, this music is so good, but it might be Nazi music. And I kind of don't care because <laughs> it's blowing my mind. Like yeah. I, I had yeah. that moment where I'm like, well, shit, this is going to be interesting. Well, here yeah. we go. Um, yeah, here goes nothing. <laughs> here we yeah. go. <laughs> um, so then I went, I went to the local record store. It was called Tempo Records and Tapes. And it was out in uh, Newhall near where I grew up. And I'm like, you know, 11 or 12 or something. And I go in super, super timid and I ask the cool person at the counter and I'm like, Hey, uh, do you have, uh, the Adolf sense? <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, Adolf sense. Uh, there's a song called Amoeba. And he's like, you mean the adolescence? And this like instant wave of relief just pours oh over me, and I go, oh, yes, yes, "Yeah, yeah." That's and he shows meant, it, yeah. dude. He shows it to me, and I look at it, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, amazing, perfect." I dodged a bullet. Hi, this is Jack Callahan, and you are listening to 400 Floor. You just heard from Dean Spunt and Sophie Weil. Dean may be best known as being one half of the band No Age who rose to popularity in the Los Angeles underground scene of the aughts, often associated with the venue, The Smell. Sophie came up in Minneapolis and eventually found her way to L.A., starting her label Dove Cove and linking up with Dean, releasing her debut solo LP with the project Psycho Friend on his long-running label, PPM. We talk about learning about larger context for music as you get into when you're younger, and the many hilarious and roundabout ways as a kid you slowly figure these kinds of things out. This episode has been edited from the full conversation, which is available at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. This is 400 Floor. Let's go on and get into it. Hello, Sophie. Hello, Dean. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to you. Why don't we start out with... Uh, why don't we start out with Sophie, actually? Hello. Um, I am curious, how did you get into music? And like, how did you come to the sort of scene that you're a part of, uh, work in, are associated with? Like, what avenues led you to that? And like, what, is your, what are your early, like, experiences with music? Yeah, um... I didn't, like, come from any super particularly musical household, but I, um, like, I was into music, but I didn't play music. I I took some guitar lessons when I was, like, 10 and then quit because he wouldn't teach me how to play a Jewel song. And I was like... I can't, I, that's like, that's all I really care about. But, and I like was into like art, drawing and painting and um, then like, and started to get into music, but everything was very like non, 
linear, like didn't really amount to anything until like probably freshman year of high school when I started to like, I went to like my first DIY shows and then I was like, I didn't know what that was, but I was just kind of like thrown into it and wanted to keep going, even though I was, it was like going to punk shows, but I wasn't really into punk music necessarily. And then like, yeah, it nothing made sense. Like it was like, I was really into classic rock and like, I loved Yes and like David Bowie and like nothing really like made sense. And then like later met my like best friend in high school because I went to this like arts magnet school uh, junior year and she was like burning me tons of CDs and she was into punk music, but she like was like, listen to this, listen to this. And like it kind of started to build something for me. And, like, something that I always think about is she played um, Trout Mask Replica in the car. And I was like, I'm getting nauseous <laughs> from listening a good reaction. to this. Yeah. But I was like, but I was like, I need to know about it. But it's like, it's a, I also remember, like, downloading my first song offline in middle school that was Radiohead Creep. And it was like. I was scared when I listened to it, but I was like, but I have to listen to this, (laughs) kind of. So it was like that, but yeah, I think like just Minneapolis did have a cool DIY situation and there was like these venues that were really amazing and like I could go and just kind of, I was extremely shy, so I was just like, absorbing it I feel like in a way until like after like right after high school then I started to make music with people but do you remember like some of the early DIY shows that you would go to and like what the venues were specifically like just just curious for, for my own personal interest yeah the first DIY venue I went to which was when I was 15 was this place called Mala's that um, was, like, this insane warehouse. And it was, like, I think it was this the first show, which I, like, remember I went there and it was, like, this band that I ended up becoming friends with the people in it later, but it's called Faggot. And it was, like, <laughs> it was, like... <laughs> <laughs> and it was, like, they dressed insane and it was, like, like very aggressive punk music but um so and that was like the first thing but then the kind of overlapping DIY venue with that was this place the church which was in a church and um like I saw bastard noise there and like but then I mean I think what was really um became important to me were like local bands there which like some of the ones that were super amazing to me were uh one called Skull Kodiak and then one called Knife World that were like they were around during that time for like five or six years pretty strong but yeah those were the first two that were like going a lot 
I remember the church. Yeah, yeah I remember there. the church. Yeah. yeah, I never played there, but yeah, that was a big one. I, that had been around for. Is it still around? Did it, I, it has to. No, close, it's right? demolished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, think it's very like, Minneapolis style. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like probably the last show was in like. 2008 or nine. I wow. Oh, God. I Maybe didn't realize 2010. It was but crazy. then, yeah. yeah, after that was Medusa, which I don't know if either of you guys. I don't know that. that. I've, but, heard, I've, I've heard the name, but I don't know anything. And that was more like my coming up, or like I played there, or like it just, I would go there and like work the door, and like I was more involved with that place. Yeah. Like how I'm, you know, I'm always curious of like what was sort of the, bridge into being like I could participate in this or like this is for me yeah like I also started to get into no wave and like one of the things was like um no New York that CD or that album and it was like I just was like oh my god like I get this and um my really good friend who ended up being my bandmate he was like oh when I was probably like 18 at this point. He was like, do you want to do like a, a cover band for this Halloween show? We could do Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. And I was like, I don't know. And he he was like, well, let's like, I think you could just sing it. And like, it's just open chords. Like you can just play. It'll be fine. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I was just so shy, but I was like, I liked the idea of it. He's like, we were driving around. He was like, just sing to this, just like sing to this and just see if it works. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, oh, like you, you have a good voice. Like you're a good singer. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just whatever. And then. We didn't even do the cover band, and then we started a band. Hell yeah! Or I that's joined... a good pipeline. Yeah, yeah that yeah. sounded like a that sounded like a ploy. Yeah. He was trying to get you in a band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, there was no show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because it like when I think about it, I'm like, it does nothing makes sense with it, but or something, but like, or it's like, why did I like? these like Saddle Creek bands in middle school or whatever. And then like all of a sudden I'm just like shoved into this other thing that I like just completely identified with. But yeah, that was like kind of that moment was a little stunted because then I like graduated high school and I was going to move away, but I was still like, I was going to a lot of shows and I was going to move away like totally like it sounds insane now for some reason, but I was going to move to Santa Cruz for like no reason Wow! <laughs> with, with my boyfriend at the time who we were like broken up pretty much by the time we like went. Not and even for like, I want to go to the history of consciousness program. No, right? like, I just you know, was just like, like, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. I've never uh, been to California. I've never <laughs> even driven more than 45 minutes like myself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. have his driver's license. <laughs> and I drove the whole way and um, it was hell. But um, I went and then I like, I kind of just was like, oh, well, like Minneapolis isn't that big. Like everywhere will have like a cool scene. And then <laughs> Santa Cruz. I, yeah, went, Santa Cruz really I went there and uh, yeah. I was like, there's nothing 
like happening here and it was like I like got a nannying job and I but then I left after two months I went back to Minneapolis and there's like of course more of a saga with the whole thing but um I moved back and then my friend who like wanted to do the cover band Sam he had started this band um that then I joined but then we like started a new band from it and that was like my first band that I like performed in and that was called tips for twat. Um, (laughs) and like there's, there's some tape, there's, there's a band camp up still. And, you know, it was a good band. It was lots of, we never toured, but we played like in Minneapolis a lot. And then we played at bitch pork in Chicago, which was like, it was like the anti pitchfork fest. Yeah. Um, but like, and played in Iowa City once. And um, what year was this? Two thousand, probably end of two thousand eight was like the first show. But cool. two thousand nine, Iowa was City back then 20, was pretty cool. Yeah, Poppin'. and like I met like a lot of cool people there. That like a lot of those people moved to Minneapolis. Yeah, you in, met like Sean and Ryan. Yep, Darren Ho was long gone by then. I think. Yeah, but I you know heard his his lore yeah. for years to come. Um, <laughs> Still developing today. Yeah. And then I think I just, like, I realized that, like, I liked playing. I, I liked performing. I was just doing vocals in that band. And um, and then I lived in a house with, like, Sam, that bandmate, and a bunch of, like, guys. And the we had shows at that house. That's where... Angels in America played, I think. At least they stayed over. And so, like, we had a lot of cool shows, like a basement. And then I started to, like, mess around with the guitar. And um, my room, one of my roommates, he had, like, built this um, Big Muff clone pedal. And I just was like, oh, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to buy the kit. I I didn't even have a guitar, but I was like, I'm going to buy the kit and I want to build one too. And because I was just like playing it, I guess. And so he helped me build this pedal. And then I just was like into playing guitar, like just noise, like just straight noise guitar in the basement. And um, that was kind of like, the beginning of Psycho Friend in a way. <laughs> but, and I still have that pedal. But um, yeah, it was like a good, it was like that environment was just like so open. And I was like the youngest person there. So I was always just like, what's that? Like, oh, like I don't, I didn't feel ashamed about not knowing like gear or anything. And all of those people I lived with were very like into gear and like talking about it all the time. And so I just kind of like learned things, but I didn't know how to play. Like I didn't know how to (laughs) play guitar, but I just was like, okay, I'm like kind of like working backwards here. Cool. I feel like that's like a 
kind of a weird paradigm or something for people in, in this in this scene or whatever. Yeah. You like learn about the gear first, and then like uh, you know, you play, at some point you learn you actually learn how to play the instrument. Yeah, like, it was very bad. Good foundational but... knowledge in uh, in gear or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, build a pedal, build yeah. a pedal, and then find something to plug it into. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. classic. Why don't we switch gears a little bit and then go and start over with Dean. And then, of course, these things intersect and we come back and, you know, it's that kind of interweave the stories. But, yeah, I mean, same question for you, Dean. What was uh, what was your avenue into music and like uh, in the scene that you you guys and we are all sort of in now and like what are your early experiences with music yeah i uh got into music pretty early but you know like mc hammer and (laughs) new kids in the block or whatever (laughs) and um i got a cassette player and then a cd player and was just really into getting new tapes and cds so i got some like hip-hop compilations pretty early and yeah i think my childhood was kind of intense my parents had a lot of problems and so i think when i found music it was really just this thing that was like i could just escape and listen to it all the time and it was really really important for me so as i got older you know i was probably i'm a bit a little older than you guys but nirvana hit i think i was in fifth grade or something so that was a really big point i think that was kind of that was kind of the big thing metal like Metallica and Nirvana were huge. So then I started getting tapes, you know, and listening to tapes all the time. And then right around that time, I got uh, into some punk music from kids I went to school with. They had older brothers and like we'd be skateboarding and then we'd kind of like sneak into their room and I'd found like a Dead Kennedys tape and I found like some more like maybe local like big drill car, some weird like SST cruise records type so though, and when I got those things, that was really like I felt connected to it, and I would borrow these tapes and listen to them, but also metal like SOD and like Slayer and things like that. Do you remember like how you felt connected to that stuff, or like what what about it you like could relate to? I feel like it just is that that thing where you felt like I don't know they look like me or or they or I think the intensity too is what I was into, but once I once, you know, I borrow more tapes from friends and their brothers and I had a similar experience with like Trout Mask, but not Trout Mask. But when I heard the first Ramones album on cassette that a friend let me borrow, he let me borrow Eye Against Eye um, and and the Ramones. But I listened to the Ramones album and I remember being in the back of my mom's car listening to it and it was scary and it was really like it's it freaked me out and i'm trying to think like how as i got older like how do the ramones 
it's not scary, but at the time. It's caveman music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember listening to, I didn't know anything about music, but, you know, or production, but hearing the, one of the tracks, the vocals kind of speed up and slow down. Yeah. Play, yeah trail yeah. off like that. Yeah. Totally. totally, it's totally. The it keeps going. And I remember hearing that and be like, this is insane. Like, are these, is this real? Are they gremlins? Like, I didn't understand what it was. Totally, but then totally. the one picture of them with like midriff shirts on the cover of the thing, like with leather jackets was just really wild. And I, I, that must have been, I can't remember if that was like right around Nirvana or right before, but it's all kind of all mixed up. But, you know, I kind of got a sense of, I guess, punk, what punk was. And I really liked it. I liked being kind of freaked out. I liked intense music. Um, so metal fit into that. But when I got into punk stuff and I get more tapes, um, um, you know, kind of connecting the dots and, and then there was a pretty big moment. My, my, my aunt, she lived with us for a while and she started dating this guy that was from Oxnard. 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 Nardcore. Nardcore. So I didn't know anything about that, but I was in, I think I was in sixth grade and she, she had told him like, Oh, Dean liked punk rock. And, you know, I didn't know much about, I had some tapes, you know, and then he, so he came over and he's like, Oh, she said, you like punk. I got some tapes for you. I'm like, okay, cool. And I thought this guy, I, I know now that he was probably like a skinhead or into that, like Nardcore stuff. Cause the tapes he gave me had like oi music, Cockney rejects and the oh, four wow. skins oh, that's and really like, funny. yeah. Yeah. And then all of this, like, um, Nardcore stuff, like aggression and Stalag 13 and, and it had minor threat and it had anyway. So he gave me this stuff, but I remember him hanging out at our house and i just thought he was a cowboy because he wore these really tight like 501s because it was the 90s we all wore giant clothes i was like who the fuck wears tight ass jeans you know nothing to know nothing about skinheads anyway he gave me this tape and uh, i really liked it i think i've told this story before somewhere a, a couple times but it's pretty interesting so he gave me this, these tapes and he had this really kind of stylized writing on it there were mixtapes so the E's were just three lines and no no um, vertical line. And he he put the adolescence on there. And I thought it said Adolf Sense. And, <laughs> and then I started like, and some of this oi stuff. And I kind of put, I thought at the same time I learned about like what Nazis were. And they kind of all, I got freaked out. Like I thought I was listening to Nazi music. Whoa. And, Damn. You know, but it's like Jewish, a false, you know? false flag or whatever. It, it's dude, like, this is it crazy. was like not actually. <laughs> it wasn't, but I love the music so much. Yeah. And my family was Jewish. And I also yeah. had this crazy thing. And I was like, I had a moment where I was like, fuck, this music is so good, but it might be Nazi music. And I kind of don't care because <laughs> it's blowing my mind. Like yeah. I, I had yeah. that moment where I'm like, well, shit, this is going to be interesting. Well, here yeah. we go. Um, yeah, here goes nothing. <laughs> here we <Yeah>. go. <laughs> um, so then I went, I went to the local record store. It was called Tempo Records and Tapes, and it was out in uh, Newhall, near where I grew up. And I'm like, you know, 11 or 12 or something. And I go in super, super timid, and I ask the cool person at the counter, and I'm like, hey, uh, do you have uh, the Adolf sense? <laughs> And he's like, what? And I'm like, Adolf Sense. Uh, there's a song called Amoeba. And he's like, you mean the adolescence? And this like instant wave of relief just pours oh over me. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and that's and he what shows I mean. it. Yeah. Dude, he shows it to me. <laughs> and I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh. Amazing. So Perfect. funny. I dodged a bullet. Amazing. You're like, woo. Yeah, dude, like for real. <laughs> Although on the back of that record, 
Rick Agnew is wearing a t-shirt that looks like it's part of it's like looks like a swastika actually. So I don't know how much <laughs> well, of a bullet I yeah, thought, exactly. but those guys were a little fucked up. But anyway, yeah, that I you know, once I learned about that, and like we were talking about earlier, you know, just not having a bunch of information. So all the liner notes led me to other stuff. And from then I think I got into the scenes of like low regionalized things. I, I was pretty into that, you know, understanding like frontier records and SST or um, you know, whatever bump and then discord all those kind of things for sure yeah i mean so how did you bridge that gap then or like what was the sort of trajectory into like getting into like what was happening in that time in la or around la and then also like when did you start playing music or when did you like start learning an instrument etc where i grew up i'm not i wasn't that far from la but culturally it was like a whole other world like it's 30 miles but it might as well be like the midwest you know like where you guys were from it's really like no offense. Yeah, thanks. Oh, guys. It's really, yeah, really might as well be like the middle of fucking oh, nowhere. Just to let that one slide for now. Yeah, but. <laughs> you know what I mean? But actually, you guys were, I mean, Minneapolis is like a great music city. LA too, but it just like, I, you know, we're in the boon. Like, I, I found out about some local stuff. I think I saw this, one of the first bands I saw, local thing, I must have been ninth grade in, in high school, and they were called The Outside. They were a, kind of a pop punk band. And uh, I went and saw this show at the American Legion Hall. And my dad dropped me off on his motorcycle before he went to his AA meeting. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to pick you there. up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pick you up in an hour. I'm like, okay. And I walked in, it was just like a sea of, old, you know, older kids. And like, it was insane. I was like, this is awesome. I don't remember anything except like one visual screenshot of just like madness, you know? Um, and then I started playing music with some kids and we, we started a band right around that time. We were called the grommets and it was like, I think, I guess I played guitar. It was like two chords, you know, it was like that germ song forming. Just every song was like, that's all we knew. So every song was like that. Uh, good blueprint for Noah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not haven't, haven't veered too far from there really. Um, and then the guy who sang in that band, the outside, his name was Darwin. And I actually got his phone number and called him and said, I'm in a band and wanted to play a show. And he's like, well, all right, I'm booking this, this club. It's new club in town called Nicole's teen dance club. <laughs> Again, what is, this is like 1954. Dude, <laughs> so, you know? so I called this guy and, he, and it was really like, it was like a two minute bicycle ride from my house. Like super close. I met this guy Darwin at this new club and he's like, I'm booking this club, you know, what's your band? I'm like, we're called the Grommets. I don't like, we never even played before. Um, I'm like, we're like yes. punk, you know? Yeah. And he's like, do you have any demos? Like, no, I don't have a demo. But anyway, he booked us a show and um, we played the show. We booked the show. I don't know if I booked other bands, but there must've been like a hundred people at the show, like kids from my high school that just came. You promoted I sang, it? I mean, I, did like, they, did they like help promote it or like, did you no, were just dude, like, I promoted it. I made wow. flyers. And Damn. my mom, my mom had already started. My mom ran a silk screen shop. So I already had, we had Gromit's t-shirts. <laughs> wow. First show <laughs> ever. Dude, first yeah. show. Like before the show, I was selling him at, at our high school. Dude, uh, which is, yeah, you know, long, long standing tradition of making merch before you uh, ever actually mm-hmm. yeah. song or uh, yeah. play a show. Yeah. yeah. And so we, I remember, yeah, we played the show. Um, but yeah, that was the first show I sang. And like, I think right before that, I shaved my head, you know, and I was like, I was like, this is the, yeah, I was tw- 12, I think, or 13 or something. So that was my first band. Um, we played one show. I think that might have been the only show. Maybe two. 
and then we i guess we broke up yeah i would start I, so i started traveling to go to there was a club called the pch club that was out in um wilmington really crazy like kind of gnarly industrial area but they had touring bands like i don't know piebald or some kind of hardcore <laughs> yeah, emo yeah, band or whatever you know totally, um totally. And then the local bands would play like Le Shock or, or, or I saw the Locust there and was like, Oh, I like, this is insane. I like this. Um, and then where I grew up, wasn't that far from Santa Barbara. So I started going to see shows up there, like the, the pickle patch, which was Stevie Oki's house. Oh, um, funny. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So I remember what him was his, what was his band? What band was he in again? Uh, this machine kills. This machine kills. That's right. Cool. Brian Rotinger was in that band too. Ah, I remember seeing them play. Wow. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. He played bass, I think, in that band. So like Ebullition Records was up there too. So that I kind of understood. I was getting into like okay, that's kind of local. That's like contemporary stuff. I don't know. Orchid. That like that. All that stuff was around and, and touring. Um, and I didn't, you know, I was in another band in high school, but like, d- didn't know how to participate in that stuff. Like, it seems like I tried to book a show at the PCH club once, but I think the guy's like, sure, dude. But I didn't understand like how to, like, that's far. What do I, I don't like really, don't even really have a band. And then if, when I had, when I was in a band, like trying to convince these three other guys to like drive down there to play, yeah. seemed they were like, not that into it. You know, they're like, <laughs> we live, we what that sounds dumb like i was so eager you know i'm so eager to do a thing or, or try to do a thing and they're just like like the drummer i remember of the band we started after the grommets was you know the other two guys like we liked bad religion and minor threat okay and then the other guy was like we the only drummer we knew was the deftones guy you know <laughs> yeah. so not we're kind of like yeah but like a different drumming style you know like a lot of splash cymbals and little toms and like really in like busy drumming you know so i'd be like hey maybe check this out this is a uh, i don't know ned's atomic dustbin or yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right Baby's So like as I was getting in the yeah, like eleventh, twelfth grade, like the world, I understood there was sort of a network of touring bands, and then I'd see local bands, and then became friends with some people, and then um, the smell opened up um, when I was I must have been fifteen or sixteen. I went to the smell when it first opened up, like the first week or something. This guy Ara, that was one of the original people who started the smell, was dating this girl who worked at the hot dog on a stick at the mall in my neighborhood. <laughs> love it yeah. love it yeah so we i somehow knew her and she's he i saw him at the mall and he's like we're opening this club you should come to this party and i went and i thought it was cool and then met people and then ended up you know seeing shows there and playing there and and that the smell was really where i think I, my mind got a little more blown because these guys were older and coming from the Jabberjaw era and like nell like nels klein and you know even mike watt and and um 
Carla Boslich and the more noise scene and Gothic Pink, Uphill Gardeners. Like it wasn't a punk scene. Like I went to the PCH club and Pickle Patch and that was like emo hardcore, like very specific stuff or like the smell had its own kind of vibe. I was definitely younger and not privy to all that. But like I said, you know, I knew the Lounge Lizards. I know no New York. I kind of understood this stuff, but these guys looked older, felt it was like felt more sophisticated or something. I feel like once I started going to the smell, I I could un- I understood the other stuff felt like almost like posery or, you know, it's it's on the nose. It's like I'm into this like what we'd see the band play Studio Key his band and he'd like, you know, every song he'd talk about Mumia Abu Jamal or he'd like read a quote from something and like you talk for a while and it, and like that's cool. I was into it. And but you know, and then the, like the smell scene was just Every like it just kind of like blew my mind more because you could I guess those other scenes were you know you had to have the right kind of haircut and vibe and look too to be cool and the smell was just freakier in a way you're like well I don't know I just saw a guy like with a contact mic on a piece of glass like yelling into it (laughs) yeah and you know what I mean and then like that that opened for Melt Banana and like fuck this is insane like this is cool. So I think once that once I got to know those guys a bit, I um, you know that I started going there more and, and just h- hanging out with them and seeing them. And they were again older, and I think, I, I yeah, I just kind of jumped into that. I think the smell, you know, is very crucial because I was in the band Wives with Randy. So when I started going to the smell, I was in another high school band that played at the old location. The smell, I think, once or twice. Where was the old one? It was in North Hollywood. It was on Lancashire and Magnolia. It was really small. Um, and then they closed down. I think they moved to the downtown one in 2000 or 2001, maybe. And so by that point, I already knew Jim. And I'd like, I, I helped book a couple shows at the newer location. And then I started playing music with uh, Randy and Jeremy that were in Wives. And we, um, like, we couldn't play. Like, there was nowhere to play in L.A. We all lived in L.A., but there was nowhere, to, there was nowhere for us to play except the smell. And I don't know if th- those guys went there, but I don't know if they, I think because we were a bit younger, I remember them both being like, th- I don't know if the smell was that cool or it just felt like, cause we were more into punk stuff and the smell was a bit like stuffy, you know, like I was saying in that kind of avant-garde world and I really enjoyed it, but I was like, I think we could just play there. The guy, Jim is so cool. And they like, I think we can kind of do anything. Like he doesn't give a fuck. He's kind of an anarchist, you know, like I've talked to him about it and he doesn't give a shit. He just wants people to do stuff. So we started playing there and, um, and I, yeah. And I think that's what was cool about that space was that Jim still, I think he just opens the door and allows things to just do do exist. So yeah, that band played there a bunch. And then, you know, I do think there was some of the older crew that probably thought we were a bit annoying at first because we're younger and real excited and sort of just like jumping around all over the place. And they're like, well, this was our kind of like, you know, we come in here and relax and to make, artful noise and we're like that's cool but yeah so that just kind of kept going until that you know that you know the scene was became bigger and bigger and then wives broke up no h just kind of continued jamming along eventually you guys signed to sub pop is that right yeah first we signed a fat cat oh yeah that's right and then we yeah, yeah yeah went to sub pop yeah how what was the like i mean what was your experience of that of like you know it's 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 not something that everybody you know who makes music even for a long time, you know, gets to experience of like being like, oh, I'm, I, I'm getting like signed to a label or like getting released on this kind of like the bigger label, you know, like 
And especially like Nirvana being, you know, important, as, yeah, you know, like yeah. a kid or whatever. It's like, yeah. You know, at that time we were approached by a ton of labels too. Like it was just one of those things that happened for us where we were the buzzed band at the moment. And, um, so a bunch of people came at us like a ma- like major labels, um, vice records of fucking of other smaller indies and stuff. And, um, I, I think we, 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 you know, we kind of always felt like this is kind of insane. Like, I don't know if this is going to last. We should jump on this. And then when we, we did the thing with fat cat and then we signed the thing with sub pop and Randy and I, we signed a deal with sub pop that was for three records. And our intention was to just put out records really quick on sub pop and then jump back to maybe doing our own records or just be on PPM or something like that. And I don't think we definitely miscalculated how long records take or how, how like how busy we'd be touring or how like insane things were going to be or, so that plan got thwarted, but it was a pretty good, you know, it was a great experience for us. I think as far as getting our name out there as a band, I feel like dealing with sub pop was okay at the beginning. And then it became kind of less and less cool. We met with the owner and we kind of got out to him. We're like, Hey man, we want to, we want to own our masters. Okay. So like, we'll just license them to you. He's like, Oh, okay, we can do that, but you won't get an advance and we won't push it as hard. He kind of played it back and we're like, they're like, Ooh, like it's, it's like now or cause it's like, yeah. would it matter if you own your masters if they don't push it? You know, like, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think we were just like, ah, fuck it. Like fine. Okay. In the so, end, it's kind good. of do, you know, it's damned if you do, you damned if you don't, you know, they were paying. And at the time, the amount that they were paying us was a lot, you know, for the, advanced there's like advanced one two and three on three records so all written out we're like that's kind of crazy for us like i don't know they're just and at the time like they're just records (laughs) you know we didn't know what they were going to be like we just we put out this other one on fat cat we wrote we recorded that real quick and busted it out like what it's just music man we'll make more i didn't really know how monumental feeling these records would feel or like how they you know they make it so it's like this is the record and they push it and you're touring this one record and you're constantly going I think we thought we were, we were very naive too. We didn't, we didn't, we don't have, we never had a manager. We still don't have any of that stuff. So we were just figuring shit out and making stuff up, you know, and now we're working with drag city for records and it's a different thing. I think sub pop, it just, the thing is there's such a big label and the people that originally we worked with when they brought us on, it's like every time we were ready to do a record, people left and new people came on. So it's like, you're working at a company. It wasn't really like, it just felt like the person that originally signed us left by this third record. And, you know, that's so, so funny. Yeah. It's like you, you forget like what a bit, you know, they're like a big label, you know, like, it's, oh, they, well, they're like, actually like owned by Warner brothers. Warner brothers owns 49% of sub pop. Really? Sub pop retains 51%. So they can still be, be an indie label. So they're so not, they're really, not UMG, but they're, they're still basically owned by Warner. Oh, it's it, it, crazy. Yeah, and it's this weird thing where they're like, well, we retain indie ownership because we're indie, but like, if we need the muscle for major labels, like, I don't even know what the fuck a major label does for, and I don't know what they would do now. I mean, we got to be on MTV, which maybe that's the thing. Like, wow, really? Oh, the I didn't major know that. Label. That's, that's pretty sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they played our video. And we were on a show, this, um, this guy, Pete Wentz, who. Of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a show. We like premiered our video on his show. <laughs> and the, wow. the guests. The guests on this show were, were No Age, T.I., and Rihanna. 
<laughs> what dude what an era that's wow. so i know right like how does that happen oh my god dude what year was i that? mean in, you know uh must have been 2008 yeah seven or eight yeah, eight totally. i guess but Dude, yeah, but so you know, I funny. guess that must have been the influ- the the sub pop influence of the major label vibe, for but, sure. Of course, um, yeah. He's like Fallout Boys. Go- is uh, we're uh, we're on hiatus right now or whatever. Like it's like gotta you know gotta see what the kids are up to. I know. Yeah. Start my own show. I think I yeah. know what it was called. I could probably find it. It's pretty oh, ridiculous. So I do. Funny. I do mention. Amazing. Actually, they I make they play um, a Who's Do track. They ask us about music, and I'm like, "Oh, look, this, I like Who's Gonna Do? They're from Minneapolis and SST, and they <laughs> yeah. play us. They play like 30 seconds of uh, Don't Want to Know If You're Lonely.' That's amazing. Yeah, and like it's, the video is like them driving around Minneapolis or something. So that's cool. Another connection. There, we're intersecting now. <laughs> no age, no age, no age. Oh, Pete, dude. Hey, man. What's hey. up? What's up, guys? How's it going? Sandwiches. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love the vocals on the new record. Oh. They're awesome. Hey, we're no age, man. We're on the show. Who? We're, who? We're playing tonight. We're no age. We have a dress room over here. No right. age, you know, California noise pop duo. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, FNM TV, not oh. FN Indie Rock. Dress. Thanks, Pete. Bye. Bye. So, guys, welcome back. Why don't we go back to Sophie for a bit and sort of like what? From like, I guess, sort of where we left off, I guess you were maybe talking, maybe it was like the beginning of when you started doing Psycho Friends, your solo project. And then like, I guess from there and then like being in Minneapolis and being involved in the scene there and then I guess, you know, moving to L.A. and then like getting involved in the scene that you're, you know, out there that you are in and that you guys are both in now to this day. Yeah, I think. Like, the beginning of Psychofriend was very, like, again, I was learning everything from the ground up, essentially, by, like, starting this project. Including playing, like, learning to including play guitar Including playing guitar. <laughs> and, like, the person I was dating at the time gave me, like, a four track. And, like, it was, like, a classic, like, okay, I'm just, like, fucking Starter around. kit. Yeah, my starter kit. And I made a tape... And I, like, made the tape on the four track, and then I got, like, a really shitty, like, iRig that I plugged into it, into a computer, and, like, cut up the tracks it in somebody else's garage band. And then I, like, <laughs> had my roommate <laughs> dub the tapes, and, like, that was my first tape. But, I mean, and I played some shows, like with the four track and like I played guitar but it was very like open. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> like open tuning or open uh, just in the <laughs> open uh like really both like, could represent the same thing maybe. I didn't you know? <laughs> ever I never tuned my guitar. Like I just like it was just going. <laughs> so, I forget who says like they like didn't know about tuning and so they were like, oh like some guys like it tight and some guys like it loose <laughs> yeah oh that was the minimum i think <laughs> that's the yeah I, there you go back to i think exactly right. exactly yes and yeah, it's like, like mike watt yeah yeah totally like it the was bass is loose. like loose in the guitar yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally so yeah anyway it's so good yeah and like my bandmate in tips for twat he had like a very he is an amazing guitarist and he he his tuning was loose let's say but (laughs) but also specific and i think i tried to like figure out how to tune my guitar like his because i just understood that but then that 
I was doing that. I, like, during that time, um, Kethua, Claire, she played at my house, and that was, like, a huge, like, opening of, like, understanding what kind of music I related to, like, for making myself. And I became kind of pen pals with her. And she was, like, really just, it just felt, like, really important because I think I hadn't seen, like, like one female musician playing music that was, like, beautiful, but it was, like, scary. And it just was, like, I just, like, got it or something. It was, like, it connected me to something else outside of Minneapolis. That was kind of, like, my first, like, okay, I want to know about these people that live in Maine. Like, what the hell? But I started to also play music with uh, my friend and roommate, Fletcher, and that was, like, improv, kind of, like, sludgy. I played bass and sang, and he played drums. And then it was, like, improv, but we made a tape, and then we went on a tour with our friend's band, Beat Detectives. And um, it was when Aaron and Eric had moved to New York, but we did this tour with them and that was my first tour that I did and so that was like right 2013 fall of 2013 and um that was on the east coast and like that just also felt like okay I like really like just being able to play every night like I get this kind of it felt really good to be involved in that way after, like, seeing so many touring bands and, like, then understanding. And that kind of, like, solidified some of, like, the scenes of people in a way where I didn't really, like, understand a lot of the connections. But I think coming from the Midwest, like, I knew the Iowa City situation and then I knew, like, night people and, like, just that kind of stuff, but I hadn't gone out on my own. And so we did that tour. And then like, I think that really motivated me to just like keep making psycho friend music because then I um, made another tape and then I started working on a record. And I also like, this feels important, but I like adopted my dog at the time too. And I felt like, okay, I can like tour by myself. Like if I have my dog with me, like I feel like this, I feel like, okay, I can just like go and it won't be like I'm alone. Cause I was like doing like some road trips and things like that alone. And, um, but I just felt like, okay, I can do this. So then I like booked my first tour which was really weird and like also again like every step of this like didn't really make sense in a way because it was like these people in Albuquerque were having like a women in noise music festival and they invited me to play so I was like okay I'll book my tour around this like really weird fest thing that was actually like amazing but um like, I don't know who any of those people are now. <laughs> like, not like, even still. Like, it's like, you like you know, you normally are like, and then I like, there's, they're my <laughs> friends now. I like realized that they were all there. You're like, I don't like, yeah. no one. still have no idea who anyone no, was. I didn't know anyone. Yeah. And you remember the, the venue? F- no. No. 
curious. But before that happened, actually, Body had played in Minneapolis. And I think, like, it sort of was, like, this weird time for me or something. And I just was like, I'm going to, like go back and I'll meet Kim and I'm just, I don't care, like whatever. And I like saw Bill and I was like, I'm just going to follow him. (laughs) Not the normal reaction people have to Bill, but you know, (laughs) I love, I've known Bill for like, since I was like 18. I love Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to follow him. Like, I just, it's fine. Like I, I'll just figure it out. And I followed him And he went into the backstage and I was like right there and like the door was closing on me and I was kind of like, this is like so weird. Why am I doing this? And he was like, hey. And then uh, Clint Simonson, who who did Dishdell, he I knew him and he was in there and he was like, oh, that's my friend Sophie, like let her in. And I was like, "Okay." So then I was like back there and I was just like, not. I was like, what I, am yeah. I doing? <laughs> but um, I like, I ended up just like talking to Bill for a long time and it was like good. And then I emailed him and we became friends. And then when I was doing this tour, I was like, do you know anybody in LA? And he was like, my friend Tim Leance just moved there. Oh, yeah. Um, you should hit him up. So I was working sort of for this person that had a publication that was going to have something at the book fair in January of 2015. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there again, but not to play a show, just to like work at this thing. And I was like corresponding with Bill at the time. And then he was like, oh, like Bodyhead's going to play a show there during that weekend. And like Tim's band is going to play and like do you want to play and then I was like like (laughs) I was like like, uh, again like this is just like I'll always just be like I don't know yeah of course like I remember being at work like I worked as a guard at the Walker Art Center and I was just like standing there and I just was like oh my god this is like what the fuck is happening like this is so amazing (laughs) but like also like yeah, I just didn't understand, but it felt like, okay, this, like, it, it makes sense right now. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going anyways. So I never, like, flew with my guitar, which I kind of knew how to play better at this point, but, like, still, like, fully not. Um, but then, like, I went there, and I just, I had a really, like, good weekend, and I met a bunch of people. And then, like, I came back to Minneapolis, and I was like, my roommate at the time, he was like, I want to move to LA. And I was like, okay, yeah, I will too. And it, I just did. Again, like another going to California for like no reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, good theme. And, yeah. yeah, it's like, I did like another tour in between that on the East Coast. And like, I played a show with Flannery and Ezra in the basement at Transpicos. And like, I had a crazy stack amp that I brought into the basement and it was like so hilarious because Flannery was doing this whisper pinky set that was like with a guitar 
And she was like, can I borrow your amp? And I was like, sure. Will you help me carry my cab downstairs? And then (laughs) she was like, this is insane. I was like, yeah, it'll look really cool. You'll look really cool standing in front of it. (laughs) So I met more people that were then like flanners. Like, oh, I'm moving there. And I felt like, okay, I like will know some people. And I didn't feel so lost or something. I had some connections, but I ended up just like, going to tons of shows by myself. Just, I was like, I'm just going to go to everything that I can, which was like the same as I was when I was like 18 or 19, when like, I'm just going to go to a bunch of shows at the handbag factory, at coaxial, at like wherever I can and just like meet people. And I, it really took me like a couple years to feel like I had a scene or like I had my scene, which would be like meeting behavior and like meeting Nikki and like becoming friends with these people that I was like, they also, I was like, I see the music they're making and like, this makes sense to me finally. Like it just took me like, I had seen them play, but it was just like the circumstance was like that I didn't meet them until like, 2017 really How did you guys end up meeting for the first time? Well, through behavior, I think because, like, the first time I met Dean was, like, I also had, like, started my tape label at the time, Dove Cove, and, like, I put out this behavior tape for a tour they were going to do with No Age. And at the same time, I was doing a psycho friend tour and I was like, oh, I'll cross with you guys in Minneapolis and then like we can hang out there. And like, so I went to the show that you guys played at 7th Street Entry. And I think that's when I met you. Yeah. Behavior had just driven from somewhere really far. I think like uh, Missoula or something. They'd all oh, drop acid or something. They were really they fried when they got there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just trying to, I'm, I feel like there's like a ton more to talk about, but we don't have to belabor any of it. But I mean, I don't know, maybe like Dean, like, is there, I'm, I, I guess I'm sort of curious about like, you know, obviously like, yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about with being like a band that was on MTV and like touring like crazy for years and like, and you're still going today, obviously, but you know, there was definitely a blip in time where you guys had this like crazy exposure that very few people get to experience. And so I'm just curious of like what that experience was like for you going into it and then also coming out of it. Yeah. I think, I think you can definitely sum it up as just, I was sick of it and it it wasn't worth it. (laughs) You know, I think because like we had talked about before where my coming up to punk music or finding these scenes was all about, people and connections and and I think touring a lot and you know I think you lose connections with 
people that you're at home with. So it's like when you're, you know, we're, we're a band from LA, but we don't know what's going on in LA. I don't go to shows in LA. Like when I go home, I just want to be alone because I've just been on tour for, you know, three months and these bands that we were in a scene with or something like uh, pick a name out of a hat, Mika Miko or something. It's like, I see them play with them, but more often than not, I was playing with bands like fucking Yaysay or, or something. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> oh, we're at a festival yeah, it's really, and it's like, oh, really those... painting a picture mm-hmm. of that time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, hey, those totally. guys again. What's up, mm-hmm. Les Savvy Fav? <laughs> awesome. Nice guys. Totally nice guys. Yeah. But yeah. like, not music I want to see, like, no, yeah. You know, all the time. Yeah. Um, Ever. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that became, for me, definitely like, feeling just separated from my world and then myself and it just became a lot and you know i think we probably pushed too hard and kind of played a lot and a ton and and because there was no money really in record sales you know it became shows and at that time too you know you'd play the like taco bell cabana showcase at the fucking whatever south by southwest or the you know mountain dew jimmy jam (laughs) <laughs> whatever in there it's like <laughs> and then you know you we play a show but then it's like hey you got a bunch of money to play the thing down the road you're like cool all right let's do it like, okay. you gotta work yeah know? totally yeah totally but that shit becomes that became a bummer i mean it didn't last very long there's a pre- there's kind of during the, the great recession you know it's like coming down but all of a sudden right before then it was like companies had money to spend to have bands play and we uh, you know, our band seemingly was very popular, um, but we never really sold that many records or really sold that many, sold out that many shows, you know, maybe in L.A. or New York or London or something. But we we don't we never we were we were definitely maybe because we we're on sub pop and it seemed bigger, but we would definitely show up to places and there would not be that many people. And the amount of money wouldn't really justify the amount of people that were there. So there'd be tension or we would get these offers from, you know, whatever, like a company that would want to throw a private party. And then they, but no, here's this cool band, no play. And then we'd, we'd show up and they're like, what is this? And we're kind of a, you know, noisy kind of fucked up band uh, most of the time, 90% of the time. So there'd be a lot of things like that where they're, we gave you this money. You guys, oh, can you, or it's like, can you just stop? Or maybe just turn down or shit like that would You're happen like, all that's the, time. the best case scenario for us. I kind of sure. like, we yeah. always were like, it'd be great if we show up and they just don't want us to play. And it happened a couple of times. We're like, Oh wow. This I didn't like, you know, they maybe they never heard us or they Damn. heard one song of course. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, but I think that got to me. I feel like just being on a label, like sub pop, you know, that's like, they're just like crunchy numbers and putting out like whatever they want, whatever can sell. So it was like, we were on there, but also fly to the Concords and like, um, oh, God. you know what yeah, I mean? Really, again, painting a, painting a picture of an Fleet era, foxes or stuff something. that you Which, thought you could forget. But yeah, what, unless we left anything very important out, I don't want to gloss over anything, but like, do you guys want to sort of talk about like where you're at now and like pro- stuff that you are currently have, you know, wor- that you guys are currently working on and stuff that you're excited about? <laughs> Well, maybe like one thing that is left out, but also just will tie into current is like, I think also like making the first record that I made with Dean was with um, my friend Robbie and Evan and like we recorded it and then like mixed it together. And then like, and that was sort of like 
before Robbie was playing with behavior, I think. And um, I think him, like, being really excited about working on recordings, like, also brought this group of us together in a way and, like, just produced a ton of material in the last few years. So, I mean, I want to shout out Robbie. But, um, but like, during the pandemic, like, me and Robbie and Evan and our buddy Nick, we lived together, but um, the three of us made this record, the Pink Trash Can record then, and um, that model of making records was, like, the first couple weeks of lockdown, we like jammed. We used those jams to compose, cut up to compose the songs, which then was like how they made the Behavior Mayako record and then how they made the Split Belt Chime tape that they made. And like, so it's kind of been this um, like cool model that we all have now like sprouted a lot from, which. We are like, and that's kind of how I made like my Unifactor tape I did with Jason in a way. But like, yeah, I feel that our group here in LA, it's like very cool because we've been able to just like record and produce all of our records like in-house essentially. And that's been like very um important and like also really reminding me of like when I lived at this one house where I was like learning how to build a fuzz pedal but or like play guitar but just like everything felt very yeah holistic again just like okay we're doing this like we're working on this record we're all hanging out we're gonna like be in it all of the time in a way and I think that's just been like amazing for me where it's like I start to lose steam to go to shows, but, like, Evan especially is, like, very motivated to go to shows, so it, like, helps me, like, okay, I, like, still have this in me, and it makes me feel, like, so happy to see live music. Like, I have to go see two shows a week, like, no matter what, and it's kind of, like, it helps, and it just does keep you, like, connected to, like, what's going on, which is, I mean... I have many thoughts of what I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> it's. I'm glad I have you to tell me what's going on. Yeah, yeah, we're always talking about Dean. Check out the band. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I mean, for for me, yeah, I think for me, I'm just really jumping into the label, and you know, I rely on Sophie and the crew to continue to put out good music. Street team to release and to find <laughs> other people. Um, I've been trying to work on my own record. Uh, fucking, I don't know. I just you know working on music by myself it's just not I'm not I don't know it's hard to do you know you don't have someone to bounce off of and I don't know I like playing live with this thing I've been doing and trying to make it's like I have like 40 or 50 tracks I've recorded or something and I'm just like I don't know all it all sounds good to me I can't tell yeah totally but I just never know what to do but um uh I feel great about this I got a lot of lot of material to thank you um Thank you guys so much for doing this. This was super fun. And really fun. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to both of you guys soon. Yeah, thank All you. Right. All right, bye. Later. See bye. you guys. Thank you. See ya. Thanks to Dean and Sophie for joining me to speak about their lives in music and beyond. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to 400 Floor wherever you get your podcasts. 
To hear the raw and uncut version of this episode, plus much more bonus material, you can purchase it at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. 400 Floor is a podcast produced by Nina Protocol, where two musicians pair up to talk about their roots individually and together and reflect on the communities that shaped them. We'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive. Thanks for listening. 